The Exchange, brought to you by Chitungwiza Community Development Network. Chitungwiza Community Development Network, improving livelihoods. Good evening. This program brought to us by the Chitungiza Community Development Network. And my guests this evening are Mandarin Chiku with the Women's Coalition of Zimbabwe and McDonald Munyoro with the National Association of Youth Organizations. Chitungiza Community Development Network, CCDN, is a youth servicing community-based organization that was formed in August of 2010. The organization is registered with the Zimbabwe Youth Council and its mission is to promote active participation of young people in solving the prevailing developmental challenges that affect them. Their vision is a community where human rights and fundamental freedoms are enjoyed by all. Their focus areas are around democracy, human rights and governance issues, transparency and accountability issues, active participation, capacity building, youth-led policy and all things youth-centric. And they are sponsoring this program. And now my guests are joining me in studio i am joined uh, ladies first as always by madrin chiku good evening and thanks so much for joining us uh, thank you thank you and greeting greeting listeners and i'm also joined uh, by uh, mcdonald uh, munyoro good evening mcdonald and thanks so much for joining us thank you very much and uh thank you for hosting us tonight Great. Um, so I want to start off the conversation with uh, a painting a picture on the history of the participation of women <coughs> and the youth in elections. Um, perhaps, um, Madden, you'd like to go first in painting that picture. What has the history been? Have the youth and women traditionally participated in Zimbabwean elections? Um, I must say, yes, they have participated, but not at the magnitude that we want them to. Uh, maybe just as a way of statistics, I can share that uh, after the Zimbabwe 2030 elections, the number of elected women fell from 34 to 26 uh, in parliament, uh, from 373 in 2013 to 261, which is 16%. Mm. In 2018, for local authorities, Additionally, the number of women who contested seats as National Assembly candidates fell from 105 in 2008 to 90 in 2018. So you also notice that during the 2018 National Assembly election, 243 candidates were women. Of those who contested, only 26 were elected. And as at July 2021, representation statistics in parliament were as follows. Women in the National Assembly occupied 81, which is 33% of the cases, and uh, whereas men occupied 163 seats, which is 67%. In the Senate, women occupied 35 seats, which is 44%, while men occupied 45 seats, which is um, 56%. So as you can see that there's a disparity in terms of um, participation. It is there, but you find that it's predominantly male. Mm-hmm. And, and what would attribute to the fall in, uh, you know, that 16% fall in some of the, you know, the statistics that you were sharing um, with, you know, uh, women considerably coming down, the youth as well also coming down in terms of their participation? Um, you know, I think it's um, voter apathy. Um, uh, there are so many things that militate with women, uh, uh, so to speak, uh, so many things. 
Uh, I think um, if um, there is no progression in an area uh, and the results come out the same and women uh, continue to be underrepresented, you find that naturally people tend to get tired. Mm -hmm. uh, they think it's not working. Uh, and by the end of the day, they say, what's the point anyway? So you find that there's uh, that apathy, so to speak. So why bother? Why bother, you see? But we are here to have this conversation to say it's important yeah, that yeah. you bother. That's and so women true. are important, indeed. So uh, MacDonald, I want you to come in now. Let's look mm -hmm. at the historical participation of the youth in elections. Um, mm -hmm. You're representing the youth constituent. What has that been like? And mm -hmm. I mean, beyond being, uh, you know, being used at rallies and so on to instigate <laughs> political violence. So I think when we look at young people in our country in the elections, um, you should to go through different forms of research that have been done on Zimbabwe you'd find that the participation of young people in elections has been described on the basis of apathy and violence. If you are to look at electoral periods 2018 going backwards, young people were the face of the violence that would happen during those electoral periods. Where we intimidate, we orchestrate the kind of activities that make it very difficult for us to have a peaceful election. Then young people have also been described in the context of apathy, where when it comes to elections, we are found missing on election day. We don't come out to vote. Ultimately, when we get to elect leaders from each election, you'd also find that significantly uh, we have less and less of young people uh, being able to garner positions within public office. And um, it's a very good thing that tonight we have the women's movement because I think as young people in Zimbabwe, we tend to learn a lot from them. Globally, if you look at the representation of youth in parliament, it's at 50... I mean, globally, if you look at the age, the average age of parliamentarians is 53 years. Really? And we're saying the age cap for youth is, th is 35 years and below. So it goes to tell you that in terms of the representation of young people, we still have a lot that needs uh, to be done. Looking at the current ninth parliament of Zimbabwe, I, I don't think I would want to get into percentages. Women are talking of 33. I mean, we are less than six, seven young people within the parliament of Zimbabwe. Of course, I mean, when we come at the level of the local authorities, we tend to see a bit of more numbers. But should find that the percentages are still, you know, very, very, you know, very, 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 very low. Yet the exciting thing about the 2018 constitution is that it's very clear to say that anyone who's 18 and above can and should stand for public office if they choose to. So I think in a nutshell, I'll say that maybe this has been the history of our young people in Zimbabwe in terms of issues around elections. And how can young people shun? Um, first of all, you already talked about, you know, them mm -hmm. being used as pawns to instigate violence during the election period. Mm -hmm. What can be done to stop young people or to discourage young people, dissuade them from going down this particular garden path? I mean, I'd say to young people, we have the 2013 constitution. If you go to section 20 of the constitution, it talks about the mandate that government has to young people. Within that section of the constitution, the government commits itself to put mechanisms to protect young people from exploitation. 
as we head towards the 2023 elections and as we think of reforms and everything else, we should also be speaking clearly as a country to how we are going to, ex, you know, to protect our young people. Because normally when we get to elections, people with politics or people who are politicians have power, have money, have access. And most of us as young people, because we are unemployed and we are like 67.7% of the population, we are vulnerable to many things. So I can be offered something and quickly I can do something that I can regret. So I think uh, we, we, we really need to get our young people to understand what the Constitution of Zimbabwe says because it gives them civic and political rights which even protect them in a period where their country could be going for elections. And for me, it can be the beginning of a culture change that can get our young people to understand more their civic roles and responsibilities as citizens of Zimbabwe. Now, directing the, the, the attention back to the women's movement and uh, the women's coalition, the constituents that you represent are Mandarin. Why are women not participating in these elections? I mean, they're, they're participating as voters. I'm pretty sure they're the ones voting or you know, <laughs> women are voting for men. And, and, you know, um, But why are we not participating or why are women not participating as contestants? Uh, there are so many factors, um, like you said, uh, but for women they are slightly different. Mm -hmm. uh, you find that for women, um, there's a research uh, that we did um, with Research and Advocacy Unit, where I'm the director. You find that um, like 49% of the rural women and also 58 of the women are in the um, uh, urban setting. Uh, they've got the uh, pull hair down syndrome. You find that uh, there are so many things that militate against women. Uh, so many forces. It's not only uh, the disadvantages or the social, economic, and political, but this is a bigger one. I think jealousy. Uh, if she gets into power, uh, I've upgraded her, and the statistics showed that women are not there to lift each other up. So so that can be one of the impediments. Mm. Yeah. And, and you've got the statistics to, you know, to show this. I know a lot of men often say, <laughs> ah, you see, women pull each other down. Um, okay. Um, what can be done to address that particular aspect, a very worrying trend? Yeah, I think uh, awareness raising and also the implications which come with women not being represented um, you find that there's so many challenges that affect women, especially if um, they don't have anyone representing them at a political level. So you find that uh, the disadvantages or the demerits come to affect them by the end of the day. And they are always complaining, but they don't realize that the root cause is that they are not being represented by someone of the same sex who understand the issues that are related uh, to women in their constituencies. So there's need for that awareness raising and just deconstructing uh, this uh, pull her down syndrome and share more of the merits than the demerits which are emotionally driven more than uh, being strategically driven. Mm -hmm. Traditional aspects or cultural aspects, I, I believe, also militate against against women in their struggle. Could we address that um, and how we can start to break that mold? Yeah, yeah. This was just one of them. Mm -hmm. I've got quite a number of them. One of them is uh, the patriarchal ideologies. Uh, we are still fighting with patriarchy from time immemorial. Uh, 
uh, a woman is supposed to be staying at home when it comes to issues that are, uh, in, are perceived as challenging men, uh, women should be at the peripherals. So we need to deconstruct those patriarchal uh, challenges that we have in communities. And also you find that with patriarchy comes issues of stereotypes. Uh, women who engage in politics, they have been stereotyped as um, uh, prostitutes and oh, uh, the, the H word, which we can't say on yeah, radio, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> all the um, and all those other um, uh, denigrating words um, that uh, pull women down. So as a result, uh, women are because uh, they are in the uh, spheres of influence where men are dominant. They are so scared to take. Uh, the leadership roles in parliament, in, in parliament and other decision-making portfolios, not only in parliament but in uh, in, in the political arena. Mm -hmm. So there is need to um, educate men and women. Uh, I'm sure the challenge that we have been having as women is that we would just congregate as women alone, talk about our challenging our challenges, excluding the men. Mm -hmm. But I've realized that once we start engaging them they begin to uh, appreciate uh, the narrative and where we'll be coming from. And I have seen uh, situations where men be begin to support once they have been empowered with information. So the idea is to engage uh, uh, all stakeholders, not only women, uh, but all stakeholders so that they have an appreciation of the role of a woman, which is not primarily to usurp the power of men, but to complement and to argument what men are already doing in their spheres of influence. This leads me to my next question that I want to pose to both of you. Is the environment friendly for women's participation freely in elections? And then the same question to, towards you, McDonald's, in terms of the environment being friendly for the youths. Um, so we could do it the other way around. Let's look at the youths and whether or not, you know, uh, is, is the environment enabling to begin with? I mean, when I look at Zimbabwe, uh, normally when you get around the age of 16, your parents, they hustle you up to get an ID. From there, you're struggling to get a license. From there, you're in college. Then some, when you're in college, that's when you hear about elections and the importance of voting. So I would say that from the way in which we are socialized, I think we need to change how we socialize our young people. Voting in elections should really be something big that when they hit 18, they now know that I have a key role to play and something to say or do when it comes to where my country is going. Then coming to the question that you just posed, I mean, I would say that when I look at Zimbabwe, if you look at the kind of legislation and policy frameworks that are there for young people, they do not adequately promote their participation, especially in politics. We have what Section 20, it says that young people must participate and be represented in all spheres of life, including politics. But move to the level of the Minister of Youth as an example. They have a national health policy framework. It simply talks about government programs at a very broad level. It doesn't specify the kind of mechanisms that the government will put in place. And I think what I find interesting in your question is that if you are to dig into the National Development Strategy, NDS1, one of the key targets around the Minister of Youth is to try and promote or to increase the participation of youth across these different sectors. Specifically coming to elections, the kind of enabling 
or, or, or the existing legislations and policy frameworks on youth are very silent when it comes to issues of elections. We look at political parties. Almost every big political party has got a youth wing. But if you look at how the youth wing functions, for some reason, we don't know the internal dynamics of these political parties, but when they field candidates, somehow they field less candidates who are youthful. And by default, you find that we have less young people coming to public office. If we look at how political parties are financed, you'd find that financing for elections comes through political parties. You have the main wing, the women's wing, then ask the youth. So you can imagine how much of that pot we get. And from the few engagements that we've done with the ministry, with the, with the parliamentary portfolio committee on youth sport, arts and recreation, around trying to improve the participation of young people around issues of politics. One thing that has also come out of that is that our young people don't have a culture of participating within political parties. I think it's the history of violence, it's the history of polarization and intolerance. 2018, we had so many young people standing for elections, but if you check, they were independent candidates because they were trying to run away from a system that is problematic somewhere, somehow. Then I think the last thing that I would also speak around is that for you to stand for public office, you need substantial financing and experience. In Zimbabwe, we are saying at the age of 18, you can stand for public office, you can be elected, you can elect. But for you to be a councillor, we now say be 21 years and above, to be a senator, be 40 years and above. So you'd find that some of these edge caps, which are then put within the constitution, they limit the kind of period that a young people can gain experience. Because at times you run, then you fail, then you run, then you fail, then you get into, into public office. So in a way, the kind of environment in which we live in does not promote and participate, I mean, uh, uh, does not promote the participation of young people. I mean, the few young people that I know that ran for public office 2018, most of them don't want to run for 2023 because of their experiences of how vulnerable they were and just how they fear for their lives moving into 2023. Hmm. Martin, I want to look at the environment for women. Is it safe? Is it friendly for participation in elections? Um, I think just like the youths, uh, it comes with its own challenges. Um, you find that uh, uh, in terms of our legal framework, uh, everything is clear on paper. If you look at Section 21, it talks about uh, the participation of elderly people, which are women. Uh, that is very, very clear. And when you look at Section uh, 17, it talks of gender equality. And when you look at um, Section 56, it talks about equality and non-discrimination. Non but when you come on the ground now, like what <laughs> I was saying, that there's <laughs> lack of adequate information. Yeah. You know, and people at times, the things that they do on the ground, I would like to believe sometimes the leaders, they don't even know about it. It's uh, primarily ignorance. Mm -hmm. People don't know that they are this, there's this legislation which actually uh, promotes the participation of women. So there's need uh, to constantly re-engage them. There's need to um, educate them on what the Constitution says about women. Their role that the government is on their side and that the Constitution is not political is the supremacy of the law of the land. 
and it should be accessed by every woman despite their political affiliation. So I think there's this fear that once you begin to engage in uh, anything that is political, mm -hmm. they don't have a legal backing behind it. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, uh, I know you do a lot of work uh, with um, uh, that legal firm. These are the aspects that women need to know about because for me is this fear. If I'm seen going to this particular meeting, won't I be in trouble? Mm -hmm. Yet it is their democratic right. Mm -hmm. So even when I was coming here, a lot of people were saying, oh, you're going to be talking about elections. Are you not scared? Mm -hmm. You know, yet they, we have got electoral, electoral acts which talk about parliament. We have got quite a number of pieces of legislation which talk about um, elections. And it's our democratic right. So there is this fear, which I don't know where it's coming from, where people, they think that participating in elections is a crime. So we need really to deconstruct um, and allay those fears and encourage uh, women to participate and know that it's okay, it's allowed, it's not a crime. And also just um, awareness raising it what is, um, what is really lacking and I believe there's need for more and more of that engagement at all levels. If you're just joining us, this is The Exchange and this evening we are encouraging the maximum participation of youths and women in the 2023 elections. Speaking to representatives from the Women's Coalition of Zimbabwe as well as the National Association of Youth Organizations. This program is proudly sponsored by the Chitungwiza Community Development Network, CCDN. And they are a youth servicing community based organization that was formed in August 2010. The organization is registered with with the Zimbabwe Youth Council and its mission is to promote the active participation of young people in solving the prevailing developmental challenges affecting them. Their vision is to create a community where human rights and fundamental freedoms are enjoyed by all and focus areas are around democracy, human rights and governance issues, transparency and accountability issues, active participation capacity building and youth-led policy and CCDN has indeed facilitated that we have the current discussion and my guests in studio are joining me are representing the Women's Coalition of Zimbabwe Mandarin Chiku as well as McDonald Munyoro representing NAYO the National Association of Youth Organizations. Um, now as we continue to have this crucial discussion and a very important one you talked about the laws um, and perhaps the silence um, on the youth and uh, where the youth fit into the big picture. Um, if, if I just paraphrase your submission there, McDonald. Mm -hmm. um, so the laws in place um, that do ensure that young people are not suppressed when it comes to contesting in elections. Where do you think they are lacking? Uh, because on paper, I think it's quite clear um, that the intention of the law is to provide a springboard <laughs> for the youth. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say when you look at the legal frameworks uh, within our country, let us, I, I think it's high time that, that they become a bit more explicit in terms of trying to address this historical imbalance, which necessitates this kind of conversation. I find such conversations to be very uncomfortable because if our democracy had matured, we should be having fair representation of these different demographics in our country. But because of that, we continue to have some of these uh, conversations. Um, and I think when I look at it, um, 
for you to stand as a candidate, you have to go through the nomination process. Fees are paid. Recently, with the Zimbabwe Election Commission coming up with a new statutory, new fees and everything, and they kind of made the entire electoral system something very difficult even for a young person who's trying to dive into it to navigate on account of the fees, on account of um, some of the limitations which now become apparent to these young people because almost for him to, for him or her to navigate anything around that particular action, they would need to be parting away with money. That would be the first thing. Then the second thing that I would say is to maybe commend what has happened through the constitution of Zimbabwe Amendment number two, where we now have the 10 seats, uh, a quota system for young people. We are saying that from each province, through proportional representation, a youth representative must be taken. And this, for me, it's affirmative action. It will try to address an issue, but I think there is where the problem is. And I think it's about how our political parties have engineered representation of their constituencies and their people. We are all struggling with the issue of women and youth representation. Imagine if our political parties would sit somewhere and say, okay, so to address this historical balance, 30, 30, 40, women, youth, elderly people, it could change the narrative. So I think for me, we need to have our political parties internally looking at how they select and field their candidates in such a way that they can also begin to look into what the constitution is saying so that they also begin to pick some of these groups, youth and women, and even persons with disability that have been historically uh, left behind when it comes uh, to issues around the matrix of elections. Then the last thing that I would also maybe just want to mention is around the Africa Charter on Democracy, Elections and Governance, ASDEC. It also speaks about the need to ensure that when we're holding our elections, we put in mechanisms that allow vulnerable groups to participate in issues of politics, especially where it concerns their direct representation. The president, I think sometime last year, signed uh, the ASTEC, and I think it's high time that we begin the process of trying to domesticate it so that it can also begin to put something on the table for our young people, which can begin to speak to uh, viable legal frameworks that can allow and increase gradually uh, their representation. Then I think also, also it might also just be important to also acknowledge, I think, what has happened in the ninth parliament of Zimbabwe, where they approved the formation of the youth caucus. So what it means is that we're going to have a pool of members of parliament in parliament, which could also be a, 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 an opportunity into the future because it means that legislators will be able to sit down and commit time, resources, passionately around addressing some of the issues that young people face, key among those issues being issues around representation. And looking at women and the laws that protect women, I mean, you went into the Constitution, Section 80 as well also speaks mm -hmm. to women's rights. Um, are there any gaps that can be addressed when it comes to laws uh, that protect women, particularly in election time and beyond? Um, for, for me, I think uh, the laws are there, but they need to be implemented um, because uh, there's so much that is said in terms of uh, the protection of, um, of citizens. Uh, it's very clear in our constitution. Uh, and uh, there's also uh, the need uh, for women, uh, especially Section 124, 
210, we find that the 60 uh, women in National Assembly are supposed to be coming from uh, six of the districts. Uh, so for me, the gap really, like I said earlier on, is to uh, bring this awareness to women because if they don't match uh, that number, because the provision is there, uh, there's availability of uh, pieces of legislation. But uh, we have to do so much so that we fill in that gap, so that there is um, a, a match between uh, the certain provisions of the Constitution and uh, the practicality of what happens on the ground. Um, I think the bigger challenge is also the intra and inter uh, politics on the ground. Uh, this is uh, what also uh, breeds a lot of uh, fear uh, for women to effectively participate in their different uh, constituencies and also even the preference of our political parties to field male candidates. Like he rightfully said, when it comes to the resources, the resources are dispensed by the political parties. But if we are going to look at the statistics of how much of that a budget goes to women, mm -hmm. you realize that there is a gap. Mm -hmm. So this is where we can also begin to bridge that gap to ensure that of the budget that is available, how much is being made available for the women and for youth so that um, there isn't that um, uh, disparity. And also um, the issue of freedom of expression I think um, it's something that needs to be um, uh, shared with women because it's clear, I can't remember the provision in the constitution, mm -hmm. uh, it's a right uh, mm -hmm. for them uh, to express themselves mm -hmm. and they need for those mechanisms and also protection for women that when they express themselves they need to be protected mm -hmm. because the law is there, the supreme law is there, but at times when people sort of like uh, express themselves, we see them being susceptible to violence. Mm -hmm. So we need mechanisms in place that protect uh, women and youths and uh, the generality of the public. That is a democratic right for freedom of expression because it's there in our uh, legal uh, framework. And also there's need uh, for a literacy gap you find that most of the rural community women, they are not educated. And uh, there's need uh, also for our literature uh, to be very, <laughs> I don't know if the accessible. word- Accessible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it has to be accessible. Yeah. And like what McDonald said, um, the issue of vulnerable groups, many times when we design our programs, are we also taking the issue of inclusion into effect? Do we have sign language for those who cannot speak? Um, those who are, what are they, numb or dumb, whatever, who cannot speak, I, I don't want to use the wrong terms. Uh, do we also have a braille for those uh, with, who are visually impaired? Do we also have a mechanisms and disability-friendly facilities so that those who may be interested in voting can also access um, the uh, voter places. So I think these are the areas that we need to strengthen so that the issue of leaving no one behind is so also addressed. So um, I think in terms of our legislation, there is need um, for um, marrying of the um, uh, legislation and also uh, awareness raising so that people understand what it really means, unpacking it in a language that is um, 
uh, demystified, uh, breaking it to rudimental levels so that anyone <coughs> at, grassroots level, at grassroots level is able to interpret it to a very simple language that will encourage them and motivate them uh, mm -hmm. to vote. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, even when you particularly speak about, you know, access for those who are hard of hearing and so on, um, there's another big issue, <laughs> the issue of resources <laughs> that really limits women uh, in, in participation. We'll come to the youth as well because it's the same factor. Mm -hmm. um, looking at that and also the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission very recently <laughs> issued out, uh, you know, new tariffs and, so, and all of that. To what extent um, can these two groups effectively participate in elections and say, you know overcome the resource challenges yeah actually this one is a big one um uh, for example uh, the presidential because we also expect our women to participate as presidential leaders mm -hmm. i think it's is it 10000 20 20000 uh, 20, and, and 1000 for a member of parliament honestly uh, mm -hmm. even for uh, someone who is gainfully employed that is a lot um, even if we try to talk about income generation, uh, in a place uh, I was listening to Hanky this morning, the inflation seems to be going up and business is a struggle at the moment. We are at um, loss in terms of uh, trying to empower women in terms of how to raise resources, not only women the generality of the Zimbabweans. So I think um, they may be needed to lobby for um, lower uh, fees uh, for, for, for uh, uh, candidates because this can come as another impediment in a system that is already struggling. So you can mm -hmm. imagine someone, once they hear those fees, uh, they stay aloof mm -hmm. because that is a challenge on its own. Honestly, at this stage, I think the best would be to lobby uh, for the revision of uh, those fees so that they are accessible to women. And I don't know uh, the youth, I don't know what uh, McDonald thinks about that. McDonald, mm -hmm. come in, you know, and, and I have, I have, I have uh, a rebuttal for both of you, or, you know, <laughs> something that a lot of people are saying. They say, you know, if you want to be involved in political processes, uh -huh. you must pay to play. You must have the money, <laughs> even if it means all those people are going to vote for you. Uh, but that's just something to bear in mind as we address <laughs> this. How, what do the youth say about the resource? Uh, I mean, resourcing around elections is very important. And I think for us as young people, simply because most of us participate in politics outside of political parties, it means that whatever comes through the Political Financing Act we don't get anything as young people because most of them are independent candidates. And when it comes to the level of the political party, whatever trickles to the youth, it's also very little. And you'd find that by the design of African politics, money plays a, a crucial role or resources play a crucial role. People are not really interested uh, deep down in the rural areas about your ideas and about your good intentions. They tend to look at what you are bringing for them on the table. And I think that might be a culture that we might need to address down there because at times for us to get to the development that we need, it's about a vision that we all can buy into. 
it might be high time that we begin to look into the manifestos and not necessarily maybe the gifts and the handouts when somebody mobilizes uh, you know, people. And it also reminds me of an interaction that we also had with the Parliamentary Portfolio Committee for Youth, where some of the members of parliament within that portfolio committee were sharing over the years how they've been able to get into mainstream politics. And for some of them, they to honestly say that for you, to get into it, you need financing. And if you don't have money now, it might be better for you to start doing something. Skip this election, get money when the next one comes, use your money and leverage on that to stage a successful political campaign. And I think world over, for anyone to have a good and formidable political campaign, which is even why our legal frameworks around elections speak to the idea of financing. It means that it's really a key area. But I think uh, the, the, the conversation now needs to tilt and say, Increasingly, how do we also, when these political parties get these monies, begin to allocate towards youth, towards women, in such a way that when they also stand with other people on the ground, they can be able to hold formidable and strong campaigns. 0719100404, that is the number, inviting you to join us in this conversation as we encourage and really unpack um, the historical participation of women and youths in our elections. And now we want to encourage more youth and women uh, to participate in the upcoming 2023 elections. So there's a couple of questions, and each have been addressed. So there are youth questions here, uh, and there are questions for the women. Um, so let me start with those ones. Um, this one is from Sekul Babafe, who says, Good evening. Women, mostly rural women, participated in the liberation struggle of this great nation. And Gogo Nehanda was brutally murdered as she stood for the rights of Zimbabweans. Sadly and strangely, a few women contest during our general elections. On a sad note, we've had one female vice president in close to our half a century uh, years of a democracy attaining our independence from Britain. Acts of politically motiv uh, motivated violence are the black elephant in our electoral processes. Mm -hmm. Lastly, but not least, mm -hmm. women are their worst enemies. Yet they're supposed to leverage on their high numerical advantage over their male counterparts. And there's another message here about women that I just want to bring together and then you can speak to both of them. Um, they imagine. This one says, women first... Um, says rumbi first women uh woman is woman woman is her own worst enemy uh women don't support each other at all yet they're always busy undermining each other now there are also issues of ignorance and fear of being implicated politically this is a reality musati there's nothing to fear the youths are just plain ignorant and timid based on the past this is mr Munyuku in waterfalls mapopoma and he goes on to say yet women and youths are used as campaign grounds uh because they are the majority in the country um, um, your your response to this? Yeah, I think uh, most of it uh, they are buttressing uh, what I've already spoken about uh, when you spoke about leveraging um, on the our numer numerical advantage. I think this is where I spoke about um, women pulling each other down, and uh, I spoke of uh, strategies of how we can uh, work around that, and even the issue of not having a woman in the presidium is a cause of concern hence uh, the campaigns uh, 50 50 campaigns that um, continue to take place we are hoping that uh, at some point very soon we should be able to see um, ours, our women uh, fielding or even the political parties fielding that um, position for women because it is something that we are also 
desiring to see, but because of these impediments that we have spoken about, ranging from patriarchy, uh, pulling each other down, uh, intra and um, interpolitical um, uh, struggles, um, patriarchal ideologies, you find that they all militate against uh, women. Uh, and there's need for support even from within parties themselves because you find that uh, those who are already in power they tend to become very selfish uh, and uh, they also kind of uh, suppress others who may be willing uh, to get into the political space that needs to be dealt with because it's seen in the allocation of resources that we spoke about because once they start to discriminate it means they are already oppressing people that they should be representing so those are some of the things that we need to begin to see uh, the legal reform of the uh, electoral process so that these issues are dealt with uh, the information dissemination um, that we spoke about, I think that would go a great way in uh, empowering women and also motivating them to re-engage and also to review um, the gazetted um, uh, ZEC uh, fees. I think that one is a big and urgent one. And I believe once that has been addressed, we should be able to see more women coming on board. And McDonald, uh, there's that part of the question uh, mm -hmm. that was uh, directed at you. There's another question here from uh, Tendai. He's our ambassador at large uh, in Brayside who says, uh, the law is not entirely silent on youth. If I recall very well, the constitutional amendment number two spoke on youth participation with the creation of an additional 10 seats. Though I personally feel that the number is still small, but at mm -hmm. least it's a small step forward aimed at improving youth participation and also recognizing the need to increase the numbers. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, he, he says that and then he also goes forward and says um, what's the way forward for us to reach 50-50 uh, representation between men and women uh, when the global statistics talk of 2133, <laughs> how are we going to achieve this 50-50? And I suppose there are also youth uh, mm -hmm. representation, uh, sort of like a wish list in terms of the things that the youth must achieve by a certain time. I mean, indeed, the quota system for youth, it's a step in the positive direction. And um, one thing about young people, we have the numbers. We now need to begin to know who's who and identify each other and stand with each other. Correctly, you said it. We are the foot soldiers for these campaigns. They are elected into office on account of the hard work that women and youth put but it might be high time that we begin to change the narrative where we are not just the foot soldiers in the campaign, but we are the faces of that campaign where I'm saying, can you now give me an opportunity? And I mean, some of these things we always have to find innovative ways of addressing them in each and every election around fear, around intimidation, around violence. Because one good thing about the 2018 elections we witnessed very few of these things. The environment was very open, it was allowing. And I think towards 2023, we need to be moving towards creating pieces of legislation that allow for that to happen. And I think what happened with Zeki, it's a bit worrying because instead of opening the space, it's like we're now closing it, especially for those that have never 
experienced an election where they are standing for public office. And if you ask me, that's the majority of young people and women <laughs> in Zimbabwe. <Yes. laughs> Yeah. Now, you know, you know, the levity aside, it 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 really is quite a concern and I, I really wish that there will be a day when mm-hmm. when you know we have everything right Definitely. and it takes us uh you know our listeners, it takes the society the society is made up of people mm-hmm. with mindsets and mm-hmm. Mandan you talked a lot about mindsets and changing mindsets, but also I want to challenge the youth and maybe ask that mm-hmm. in terms of the input, say there's for example, Zonzi Nasib kune consultation being done and are mm-hmm. the, the you know their submissions actually uh, enriching is, is mm-hmm. there value is there gravitas in the things that they are saying perhaps mm-hmm. I'll ask you both to just answer that that one uh before we close things off this evening um McDonald's, you want to go first I mean participation is an issue with young people. We are working with young people through constitutional hubs. We were trying to build literacy around constitutional issues and the importance of working with parliament. We have seen a gradual increase in young people taking interest in public hearings and processes of the parliament. But it's still low because remember, this is 67.7% of the constitution. And I think what I can then say to young people is the constitution of Zimbabwe gives us an idea of where we are coming from as a country and where we are going. The preamble is very clear to say we the people of Zimbabwe. It's high time that we begin to identify ourselves with everything that is Zimbabwean and begin to understand it so that we can gradually also own the destiny of our country. And Madeline, coming to you. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you so much. I, I think uh, in terms of participation for women, uh, is a women's coalition, we've got chapters in almost all the provinces. And when we call for meetings, women, they come. And apparently uh, civil society organizations have done a great deal of work uh, in terms of empowering women and taking some of the legislative frameworks like um, uh, the issue of devolution section 264 and other mechanisms. Uh, But I think um, from what we are picking from this, I think if we can allay the fear and if there's intentionality from um, the leadership of our nation, uh, to encourage um, our members to participate without fear or favor, mm-hmm. and also to openly and de- openly denounce political violence, I think I would see more participation of youths and women, because the most uh, uh, intimidating thing is fear, mm-hmm. and they need that assurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, from our political leaders and once there's that intentionality and there's buttressing and reinforcing of those uh, sentiments I believe we will begin to see more and more women participating because coming, they are coming for meetings but when it, um, we get surprised when it comes to issues of participation and also voting when the results come that's where we see oh there is a root awakening. What has happened? Mm-hmm. What has happened to all that we have been telling them about? Mm-hmm. So I think there's need for that intentionality mm-hmm. from our leadership that uh, issues of election mm-hmm. are a democratic process where people have to express their freedom of expression without fear or favor. And there's also need to criminalize 
are people who intentionally engage in violence openly so that our communities begin to have faith in our legal systems to know that perpetrators of violence are brought to book. And once we have a demonstration of that, I would like to believe we begin to see uh, the proper trajectory beginning to take place in terms of our participation of women, particularly in rural areas. Like he said, in 2018, there was a change, a positive change. If that could be encouraged in 2023, I think um, the narrative would change. And now we fast run out of time. In closing, uh, I invite you to give us your parting shot, uh, starting with you, Madrid. As we get into 2023, what needs to be done to ensure that women are not left to the peripheries of the electoral cycle? Uh, I think the issue of uh, information dissemination and the unpacking of uh, all the legal frameworks and all the uh, provisions that I spoke about that can empower women to know that it's their right. I think there's need uh, to reach out to know to more women in that regard. I know we have been reaching to some areas, but we need to reach uh, to a more heterogeneous audience than we have done in the past. And McDonald's, in closing, your parting shots, uh, getting into 2023, keeping the young people in the front and not at the back. I mean, it's high time that we begin to shun drug and substance abuse. Let's take a keen interest in elections. One of the clearest pathways is to join a political party, find one ideologically that relates with you. And when we are there, let's begin to use the youth wings to re-innovate uh, the wheel in such a way that we can see more and more of our young people standing for public office and let us shun violence and intimidation in all its forms. May we never be the face of violence in Zimbabwe's young people. Well, uh, that brings our conversation to a close. Allow me to thank you both for shedding such light on a very critical issue. And I hope that we can continue to interface and talk about these issues. Uh, I was uh, speaking uh, there to uh, Madrin Chiku, and she's representing uh, the Women's Coalition of Zimbabwe, WICOS. Uh, McDonald Munyoro representing National Association of Youth Organizations, NAYO. McDonald, Madrin, thank you so, so much for being in this conversation with me this evening. Thank, Thank you. you very much Thank for hosting us. Fantastic. And this program was made possible and sponsored by the Chitungwiza Community Development Network, CCDN, a youth servicing community-based organization formed in August of 2010. The organization is registered with the Zimbabwe Youth Council. Its mission is to promote the active participation of young people in solving the prevailing developmental challenges that affect them. Their vision is to create a community where human rights and fundamental Mental freedoms are enjoyed by everyone, absolutely all. And their focus areas are around democracy, human rights and governance issues, transparency and accountability issues, active participation, capacity building and youth-led policy. Uh, we do look forward to having more and more conversations about youth and women and their participation in our elections. This program was brought to you by Chitungwiza Community Development Network. Chitungwiza Community Development Network, improving livelihoods.